Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Uh, it's an absolute privilege to be here with you. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, I once read that you knew from the age of eight that you wanted to become a lawyer. Yeah, apparently my mum found some old journals from my school that said, after a Perry Mason movie, if you're old enough to remember those, that's what I put in my diary, that I was going to be the best lawyer and fight justice. And here I am. <laughs> so what was it about the idea? I mean, eight is, is young to... And then to stay on that path. So I have an eight-year-old myself, so actually looking at him, he loves very much the investigative side and working out things, how they work from an engineering point. And I think my mind was, let's get to the truth of this. Is the world so black and white? Where are the grey areas? And I found that fascinating. And I do remember when I was a younger student sitting there in the courtrooms when I was working out what I want to do. And one day you'd come out, believe that person. Then the next day you'd come out having heard someone else go, believe that person. Wow, how do you determine... He's right. I found that whole process fascinating. So you were going to the courtrooms, what, before you went to law school or...? Yes, I did. Even, I think at 15, 16, I did internships in the solicitors local to me. I went to the courts. I went to the hospitals where they were doing forensics and autopsies. Wow. I loved it all. I was fascinated by it. What, what, was, it you what was it you saw? I'm sorry to go on, but what is it you saw about the law? I think it's the analytics initially. How do you work something out? How do you find out what the truth is? Obviously, anyone out there who's been through the process of law realises it's not about the truth. It's necessarily whose strength and weakness of the case. But I think it's just the, the curiosity of how you analyse things, how you flesh things out, where it's going to take you. And every single thing I saw was different. You were never going to have a nine-to-five job where it was the same thing day in, day out. Every hour was different, and I loved that. Is that still the case now? Yeah, so I can cross, so one day I'm talking about drone law, then I can do cryptocurrency, then my team come in and talk about surrogacy, then we do LGBT equality, then we're doing transgender parenting, then we're doing a standard shareholders agreement. That sounds odd, but I love it. So, so uh, you went down the sisters' route rather than the Barristers' route. What was the reason for that? What, what was one more of a calling than the other? Honesty, money. I don't think I had it in me to be able to survive as a barrister because you're self-employed, you have to generate your own fees. Whereas a solicitor, you get a guaranteed salary, you get paid as a trainee. How I ended up running my own business, I don't know. So obviously now I'm, I'm not guaranteed. But that was the initial thought process. Um, I love the thought being in court and I, as a solicitor, have been in court. But I also like meeting the clients. So, and I'm not saying barristers don't. But barristers tend to get the briefs from solicitors and go into the courtroom. We get to meet the client from the very day dot to the very end. And that kind of relationship is 100% more for me. You know, from the out, as an outsider looking in, you must see people at their most panicked. And how do you kind of, on a human level, sort of, do you tell them it's going to be all right? Because it might not be all right. So one of the very important things early on with the trainee solicitor is to understand the law whether it's grey or black and white with your drafting documents is one thing, but it's the counselling involved. So you've got to manage expectations. You're going to have clients break down crying and have um, people shouting and screaming. You could even get abuse. You have fights. You've you had never, all this. yeah. I mean, you know, you never know what's going to happen during a divorce. People react differently from a commercial dispute. We've had clients throw glass at each other in a meeting. You know, um, the police have been involved in very glass. Yeah, I mean, you're, too, you're, you're heightened about thousands and thousands of monies being taken and fraud and shareholders disputes. You see everything. You know, people losing their houses through bankruptcy, through divorce. 
you have to counsel, you have to manage expectations, you have to sometimes be the dictator to stop them, to quieten them, you have to be the mediator. So how did you build that resilience? Is that just, you know, oh, you've seen this kind of version of the situation before, but you said it's all different. You will either have, in my opinion, and it is just opinion, solicitors who are very, this is our job, deal with it, or you have very empathetic people. But I do believe genuinely to make a really good lawyer, you have to have both. You have to have empathy, but you have to be really strict and diligent in what you're telling them. So there's no point me saying, to come, don't worry, it'll all be fine. It'll absolutely be perfect. If that's a lie, because I don't know. If I think their case has got a 40% chance, I've got to manage that expectation whilst maintaining the confidence and trust, whilst making sure that they survive it. That's interesting. So how do you, how do you gauge the 40%? When you, do you say to people, I think you've got a 40% likelihood of this happening? I mean, obviously, it's not as fine-tuned machine, but there are and there is enough experience in these walls to know when the case is good or not. And it's not necessarily what clients think it's about who they believe, it is about the evidence. At the end of the day, if a judge or a tribunal's got to look at one side or the other, you're going to look at the paperwork, you're going to look at the volume of witnesses, then you're going to look at the credibility of the testimony, then you're going to look at the people that you do and don't like. So you weigh up everything. Um, yes, experience, but also there is an analytical way of doing the evidence. Everyone looks for a shooting gun in bundles, and that doesn't always happen, but sometimes it's there. Has it been different, this profession? You know, you, you, know, you started off thinking it'd be one way. Has it been like that? Oh, it's completely opposite of how I ever really? thought it would be, yeah. Um, the, the, the humans involved make it the worst and the best job. That's life, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and the, the law is ever-evolving, and what I've learned is to react to the market, be proactive, dri um, driving the law. I never thought I could do that, and that's exciting, changing the law, being in the moment. I'm not a very traditional lawyer. I'm, at school, I was called disruptive, which was a bad thing. Yeah. Now, as a lawyer, being disruptive in the tech sector is exciting, it's fun, it's where you want to be, and being a disruptive lawyer is fantastic. But that's been my main nature. Why are you asking me to do that? I'm challenging why to do that. So actually, I have seen that change, and to be involved in that and drive things forward, for me, I hope that never changes. So why were you disruptive as a kid? So I always ask why, um, you know, why are you telling me to do that? Not because I don't want to follow your orders, but why are you asking me that? And, you know, anyone who's got children out there sometimes, just do it. Um, but I've always had that analytical mind, but surely there's a better way of doing this. Have you thought about this? I'm sure teachers used to get very frustrated with me. <laughs> you mentioned, um, you know, driving the law. But what, what has been your proudest professional moment so far then? Oh, gosh. Um, I suppose on a personal level, being invited into the Freedom in the City last year, I didn't really appreciate and understand what that meant until I was at the ceremony. Whereas people get sponsored, they buy into almost like a guild. Whereas we were invited as, a, as kind of a hundred women invited into the city to celebrate what achievements we've had. You personally hope you do a lot, you want to be a good boss, you want to be a good mom, you want to be a good lawyer, but to actually have somebody who I still don't know who they are put me forward for my equality really? work. Really? You don't know? That, for me, I don't really know how to take that. That was probably one of the most humbling moments of my life. Um, the ceremony was fantastic. And the other thing is we were listed as one of the top 100 businesses and we were invited to 10 Downing Street. Wow. Those things are outside the legal realm. So it's, it's what I want, it's being recognised as a lawyer is one thing to be recognised outside of that for other work and, and what the law firm's doing. For me, that was everything. Two questions. Why was the ceremony fantastic? And what was 10 Downing Street like? 
Okay, the ceremony was fantastic because I got to sign a book that Margaret Thatcher and uh, Florence Nightingale signed, and it was the old-fashioned feather ink. And you understood that very few women have been given that accolade to be invited in, and I had no idea of the importance of that. Um, I'm not the sort of person that likes notoriety very much, so for me, it was probably the proudest moment. And to hear my family see that, my son see that, my colleagues see that, it's embarrassing, but it was also amazing. And 10 Downing Street was fantastic. Um, though you weren't allowed to take your photos there, you had to hand your phone in, and there was a Lego replica of 10 Downing Street inside there. Oh, wow. Some would have died to see that. <laughs> um, and it's the, the little things inside that make it so human. That was fascinating. What other things make it human? I think you have to, when you get to that level, you're in awe of politicians, well, maybe not in awe, but you know what I mean. They're, yeah. they're, you look at them in a certain way, and same as judges and the girls. When you actually meet them, they're human beings. They've got their fallibilities like everyone else. They've got their families. They've got their opinions. To actually be brought into that fold and meet them, that was incredible. Was there a moment, or has there been a moment, even up to that point, where you thought, right, you know, um, I've finally done something very special here. Um, not passing yourself on the back, maybe passing the firm on the back, or but you know you you realise okay, this is significant. I guess if you're asking me how do I test or understand my achievements, it's when a client gives me a hug and says, "This is all over. I've achieved what you've wanted to achieve. Me, I can get on with my life." But honestly, I know that sounds a bit cliche, but that's when I know I've done my job. And clients have brought me to tears sometimes, where together after a two-year battle, we've got them out of it. That's what I set up my firm for. That's what I became a lawyer for. Everything else, don't get me wrong, is wonderful and I love it. The awards go into 10 downstream. I'm not saying I didn't love that. But to see a client go, you did that. Funny enough, my, I think one of the nicest things I've ever had a client sent me a picture for her five children and her on Christmas Day. It's taken me 11 solid years to get each child from around the world back to the UK wow. to be with her. And I felt oh, like goodness. I'd been part of a journey that I, I don't think I'm ever going to beat that to be honest that's incredible yeah do, do, do you uh, do you take this job home with you I mean can of course you, you do can yeah. you sleep <laughs> can you, are you someone that can sort of park it a bit at bedtime or it's just always do you, is there a big knot in your head always being sort of tangled and untangled a lot older than I was, a lot mature, more mature now, so I can disentangle. I have a wonderful family. My husband and my little boy distract me at home for the right reasons. So no, I, I can sleep. And I know I've done everything I can to be the best that I can. So I've never cut corners. So I can sleep at night from that point of view. Um, I'm happy with what I achieve. Yes, you, everyone has money worries or whether I've done something right and wrong. But no, pretty much on the aura, I'm happy. Uh, but but any, um, anything that kept, kept you up at night in terms of, oh, I've got to work through the night to get this done. Is that a frequent thing with the workload? Yes, I do. But then I've always, I'm not a morning person anyway. So yes, I'll often step till two or three in the morning. I also have lawyers that respond to me at two, three in the morning. Wow. We're as bad as each other. But that's more of the enjoyment of what we're doing. We're in the moment and we love doing it. But I also stand myself in good stead for the next morning. But that's not because I have to, I'm not stressed about doing it. I actually just sometimes really enjoy it. Do you have to be totally married to this profession then to kind of make an impact but also get through it and do well and enjoy it? If you are going to be a good solicitor, it's a career, a vocation. It's certainly not nine to five and you're certainly never going to get the pat on the backs that you think you're going to get. So yes, you, you have to marry that. However, you don't have to work till two in the morning every night. You don't have to work every weekend. You don't have to be a slave to it. 
some of the larger magic circle firms work very, very hard, but we have a different culture here, a different environment, and we've harvested that deliberately. How did you do that? So when I set up this firm, I wanted everyone to actually enjoy coming into work. I wanted them to have flexible working. I wanted them to be able to go on holiday and enjoy. It doesn't mean less money. It just means doing things differently. So I will always go and pick my son up um, at certain times of the day, but then I can work in the evening. I will always make sure that I work my life and the work to work together. And, you know, someone says to me, Karen, I want 35 days annual leave. So long as they're billing and so long as they're working hard and the client's happy, why not? So it's just working out proactively what the team want, what makes them tick. And we're in a luxurious position. We can do that at the moment. If you have 2,000 staff, obviously that's a different ballgame. What's been your worst professional moments? Honestly, and it's the reason why I set up this firm as well, I had a client who was facing homophobia at work and I turned around to his husband and I said, he won't make this. The stress, the mudslinging, the anxiety, he will not make it to tribunal, walk away, whether you settle or not, that's my professional opinion based on that but also the reason I set up this firm really everyone wants to make money and be a success but at what cost I want to do it for the right reasons the right way and I look back at that moment all the time and remind myself it's not worth forcing this down that route think of the client think of exactly what they need first so what happened there what what, what the circumstance if you're allowed to say or yeah I mean there, there, there was a the thing is, if you face discrimination at any point, it's the guilt. It's, um, are they right? It's, will anyone believe me? It's then the kind of the, the momentum of the whole firm or the whole department coming after you. It's airing your dirty laundry in public. It's dealing with lawyers and listening to your personal details. You know, anyone who goes through that knows it's very tough. And that's why I've got a lot of people settle. And then there's the judgment of you settled, you let them get away with it. Who makes the judgment? He does, the victim. The victim in the mind is going to be thinking, yeah. you know, if I've settled, have I let them get away with it? But at the end of the day, from my point of view, you do what you do to survive. You do what's right for you. And, you know, you're not there to create justice for everybody else. And there's a lot of pressure on people. And I do not believe, and I will never believe, that a lawyer should ever put their client under undue pressure to go to a court hearing or a tribunal hearing if it's not right for them. And in this case, I was proven right. I'm not always right, obviously, but I have to listen to the clients. I have to listen to my head saying that client's not right. We do complicated work, but we also have the human element. So we know a lot of our clients. We know their families. We know what they're going through. You can't help but get ingrained in their, their world. So you, you come to terms with their risk appetite, what they're going through, good and bad. You know, you have to empathise, you have to counsel, but you have to, have to be strict. And that is hard, but it's also what we sell here. It, the law is not just... A document it is very much about knowing that person so sometimes there will be a phone call at night going I don't feel good about this anymore what do I do really? and my job is to say you do what you do for you I mean I've had clients send me suicide notes I've had all sorts wow. and my job is to say it doesn't matter what anyone says it doesn't matter what the law says what do you want and whether you've got a 90% success rate of a court case walk away if it's not right for you They've sent you suicide notes. At what point? What they said? Look, here's evidence of how upset I am. Or no, I sometimes can't... a plea for help, where I've actually Gosh. luckily been able to get someone there in time. Really? But that's again a message to everybody. It's not a, 
a job, it's sometimes a vocation. Lawyers have to take and understand responsibility for the amount of emotional involvement they have in people's lives. Commercial world may seem dry, but that's their life. A divorce is their life. Employment, it's a very emotional and emotive state that your clients are in. You have to take responsibility. They are hanging on every word. You have to give them the options. You have to give them the risks, the, the pros and the cons. They have to make their own decision. But of course, they're going to be guided by you. Is there a temptation for lots of lawyers to not be you know, as compassionate as you are or, or, or have that approach and just kind of hide behind the law? I think a lot of our industry now are very nervous about the way things are and say, this is your option A and this is your option B. I don't think it's very easy for a lot of people to say what they would do. And it is a risk. It Always, it could come back tenfold on you. It could be an insurance. But that's what they're paying you for. They're paying you for your experience. You won most innovative law firm. Uh, what was that innovation? So a lot of the technology has evolved very, very quickly, whereas the law has not caught up. So if you take AI or drones, for example, or cryptocurrency, which is notorious. So we're having to draft contracts. We're having to put a framework in place for something that is still an unknown entity. So we're drafting a framework as if it's a regulated, as if it's a legally structured document in anticipation of what's coming. Then we have to adapt it very quickly. That's risky because a lot of lawyers say, well, how do you know you're getting it right? What if someone challenges it? And we're very much saying, well, we don't know it's right. We're doing it as 90% possible as we can. If it's challenged, we'll adapt it. And also we're trying to change the law to accommodate it. So we often go to a lot of steering panels and say, the law does not cover this. We need it to cover this aspect. And so, so, so there was an award, no? Was that 2017, I think it was? Yes, yeah, so it was very much they interviewed clients. Um, they looked at what we did. They asked us for some case studies. They looked at the law that we challenged. We probably have about 50% of our commercial, well, no, probably 70% are tech clients. So I know they interviewed a lot of those. And when things are getting really rough at work, is there a kind of a personal credo or saying or anything you have uh, in your mind to keep you going? Or are you just kind of... Give me a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone else. Friends, family, glass of wine. <laughs> how do you? I mean, how do you keep going when it's a really bad day? I mean, what does a bad day look like? Every morning I get up, kiss my little boy and send him to school. And if I'm lucky, I get to put him to bed. So actually then my day is insignificant. If I don't get home to put him to bed at night, then I have to wind myself down, I have to relax. I have a very understanding husband that has to listen to a good hour rant, then a glass of wine and something on TV. Yeah, it, it's, I think it's just been open, having someone to talk to. Isn't, I guess it's like anything in the life, you just need to talk about it. So how do you even go about building a practice then? How, how did you build this? Like, in a practical level, uh, how, how does one do that? If I'm perfectly honest, I thought it'd be a lot easier than it was, but I turned up to an office that we'd leased with a suitcase of files, no wow. idea what I was doing. I was secretary, I was IT engineer, I was accountant, I was lawyer. It was just trial and error, to be honest. Um, it How was did you do very the law difficult. bit if you're doing the IT bit? And, you know. Yeah, my IT bit was turn the computer on and off if it didn't work. <laughs> Um, I even remember in year one begging my mum to answer the phones a few really? days just to try and give me some scope. I, I, I brought staff over that used to work with me. I hired people. It was a very organic growth, but yeah, I wouldn't admit the first three years were smooth. It was pretty difficult. <laughs> do you, do you have an awful amount about running a business? 
I do now. Um, so, and I'm very happy to speak to clients about the checklist they have to go through. And I admit my mistakes and say, look, look at the end of the day, extending too much credit or being too generous or not understanding staff motivation or not doing this. I'm happy to admit my mistakes and hopefully clients can learn from that and evolve with me. Um, if you're not making mistakes, in my opinion, you're never going to evolve. But, you know, I can now help other law firms set up and I have done so because it's very challenging. When I started, there was no SRA, there was a law society, and they didn't really know how to set up a law firm. And now we can be a company, whereas then you couldn't be a company. How many years is 11 years. So things have changed significantly from being a partner to being, being allowed to be an LLP, then to be a limited company. Now you've got ABS. So again, it's constantly evolving, and, and that's what our firm's about, is keeping up with the pace. But how did you know you were ready? I wasn't. It was one night going home after a number of incidences like the one I've told you. And my husband said, well, look, you either start your career all over again. Do you really want to do that or set up on your own? How hard could it be? Um, <laughs> so I went, to, funny, I went to consult for two other law firms just to get a feel. And I thought, I don't like this. I don't like the lawyers. I don't like the setup. Let me have a go. So I just... So you went in for an interview for a job? I know. I actually consulted. So I was an independent okay. freelance solicitor, worked across a few firms. It just wasn't for me. I just didn't like the way traditional law firms operated. So I gave it a go. compassion? It was more it was money, 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 bottom line. It was very traditional. What you is the traditional? What is so that? you have the partner that meets the greets, then the junior lawyer gets the work to do, but sometimes doesn't even get to meet the client. The secretary does the administration. You don't get part of the whole journey you didn't get to change the law, you didn't get to really get to know the client. Are there any unmitigated daily disciplines that you have when you come into the office to stay on top of both yourself and the work? Do you say like, okay, from nine till 10 I do admin or, you know, what, what's the, how do you carve up the day? Oh, if only it was that structured, but I do an email at night before I go to bed of all the things I know I have to do the next day. And to then yourself? I, yes, and then I print that off in the morning, have it on my desk. A, because it makes me feel better as I'm checking them off but it also keeps me on track. Obviously new things come in and out, emergencies come about. Um, I have a whiteboard on the wall for the long term and then a daily thing. I'm very visual on that. So technology now is great, but you know, if you've got to keep looking through your phone, That's you forget it. things. So I'm very visual. So list on the desk, whiteboard, not all the time does it make me feel good. If nothing's checked off by the end of the day, I'm thinking, crikey, I've still got to do that. But normally 50%'s gone, makes me feel good. So what do you do with that 50%? Do you roll it onto the next day or do you, do you get annoyed about it? Are you too ambitious with the whiteboard or, or the, sorry, the, the email list? If it's not urgent, I'll roll it over. A lot of time I have to delegate. Yeah. Um, I try very much to make sure that I'm aware of what my tasks are and I don't delegate unless I need to. Otherwise, I'll go home and then wake up at midnight and finish it off till two. Not again because I, maybe I don't have to, but sometimes it just makes me feel better that it's done because I know I've got another list the next day. So how many hours sleep are you getting? Oh, I, I need to have at least eight hours. Or are you getting I'm eight yes, I do, or else I'm absolutely useless. That's great. I drink too much coffee, but I do get my eight hours. <laughs> Even when they're getting up at midnight or two? Yeah, um, I mean, I can, I can quite happily get on with that. It's the mornings. If you got me up at six in the morning, I would be rubbish. As long as I'm up at half seven, eight, I can function, even if I've been to bed at two. Fair enough. So, so what kind of personality do you think best suits uh, both this firm and, and this line of work? Is it 
being like a, a long distance runner or being somebody sprints and short bursts? Do you have to be kind of move through things slowly? How do you, what personality? For our best? firm, it's slowly, slowly. It's, for me, it's always about building up relationships and having a long term relationship. Quick wins never work for me. If I bill someone £5,000 and they're unhappy, they won't come back. If I'm slowly, slowly and build them up, you know, they can afford it, they can budget. Personality-wise, too much too soon, you don't have the trust. No, definitely slow for me. So how are you building it? In, in, what, in what sense? So it, it's trying to contain the culture that I've hoped and I've created and I want to maintain that. It's not traditional and you have to build nine hours and if you haven't built nine hours you have to account to me why you haven't built nine hours it's again if you've hit your billing targets great but if you've if you haven't how have you been productive what have you been doing and then it's also about the clients if the clients are really really happy and cross-referring and bringing more work in you know that lawyer even if they haven't hit their targets they're still a major asset for this business and not everyone's going to hit everything straight away you know, December's a quiet month, January's a busy month. It's all about production, it's all about team spirit, it's about culture. It's also about not retaining your client just for you, but team spirit. And I do feel that here, I do see that here, that, and that's what I want to maintain. Who's the most, most impressive person you've come across in the industry? Um, not necessarily related to your firm, although it can be. Anyone that you've thought, wow. Or not, you know, you, you might just think, Everyone's competent and brilliant, I don't know. I mean, if you get a really good counsel at a hearing that has probably had a brief two days beforehand and stands up and articulates everything very swiftly, very quickly, that's what I'm really blown away. So people like David Lewis at Hardwick, um, David Peachy, who's actually moved from Enterprise Chambers to Hardwick, they've blown me away because they pick things up very quickly. They're aggressive but professional and polite. They're very strict and rigid with things. It's, it must be a fine art form to pick something up and understand it, not even meet the client and run their case straight away in a hearing. So that's incredibly impressive. What do you mean strict and rigid? They know what the law is, they know how it has to be, and even if the client's saying, look, you know, I want to do this, I want to do that, like, no, this is how it is, because our duty is to the court. So solicitors will mould with the clients, whereas barristers are very much, this is how it has to be, this is what it is with the court, but they'll still fight, they'll still deal with the challenge, you know. How do you mould with the... What do you mean by moulding with the... So a lot of clients think they'll come in and say, look, this is what I want to achieve, this is what I want to do. And a lot of clients don't necessarily, and I don't want to sound patronising, some clients don't actually know what they want. You have to go through everything really? with them and say, well, have you also considered these options? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. So it's not changing their mind, but it's opening their mind to what else is there and leading them into making an informed decision rather than this is what I want. Um, obviously, when you're in court, you've had a barrister, the defence is done, the claim's done, whatever you're doing is done, that's the way you're, you're doing it. So for us, simple thing like a startup business, I want an equity investment. But have you thought about this, this, this and this? No. Let's do that first and then come back to it. Um, so it's not sort of changing what they want, but just giving them more information. When you say people don't know what they want in terms of what they just come to you and they're hurt about something or they feel put out... Well, in anything. I mean, so a company might say, well, I want to leave my company. I need, um, I'm not happy with a business partner I want to leave or I want to sell the business or I want a million pound investment. It's only when you start that dialogue and you really sit down and get to know the client, you genuinely then find out what their motivation is. 
you can say, well, actually, you don't have to do that to achieve what you want. You could do this instead. You could get another partner and you could merge. You could get debt investment. You could get some grants. Maybe you don't need a divorce. Why don't you try separation? You don't need to go to court. What about mediation? Um, but until you get to know your client and you really understand what's driving them, how can you possibly advise them? What's your, what's your professional end game generally? Do you, do you have a kind of... Are you as happy, like, the success you're having and, and you know, just, just enjoying the law, just like when you were eight, you could be fascinated by it? Or, or do you have kind of um, somewhere you want to go personally? So I'm trying very much to bring the directors up through the business. So I promoted someone to a director last year who's on fire and fantastic. The, the younger generation, you know, they, they will take over from us. And I'm hoping I can mould them into taking this firm over for me. So my idea over in the... I still hopefully have a long time in the law and I enjoy it, but I want to take more of a step backwards and start looking at strategy and the clients rather than actually doing the day-to-day work. I would like to build up some legal tech side of things to feed into the business, which I've started to explore at the moment. So I've got a lot of time in me, but I want to bring the new generation into the firm to take over from within. I don't want to sell. Ideally, I'd like to bring it upwards. If you go back in time and speak to your younger self at any point in your journey, um, law school, college, the eight-year-old, the new, you know, or, or a young professional, what would you say? I would impress upon myself what an entrepreneur really is, the benefits of it, and how that would be an advantage to me in my life. In my world, in my generation, it was very much you do the best you can and get a job. Now the universities are actually helping you create companies and come out with a company. For me, that's the best thing that I've ever heard, and that's what I hope my son does. So for me, I'd go back and explain, this is what you could have, this is how you get there. It'd be a lot easier if I understood that was in me then. So, so okay, so this is a bit morbid, but fast forward 60 years, or more, <laughs> oh, wow. and a newspaper writes an obituary about you, you know, what, what, what are they going to say? What do you hope they'd say? I mean, what are the kind of ideals you're aiming at? I stay true to myself. Um, personal and career will give you many hurdles in life, and it'd be very easy to take an easy route or to follow the money, or to do things the way that perhaps you wouldn't necessarily do if it wasn't so easy. I just want to stay true to myself, and it's, it's very hard sometimes. You want I set up this firm to offer integrity and a culture to people, and you know, sometimes the bottom line when you have to pay your rent drives you in a different direction, but I ultimately hope that I keep on track for exactly why I set this firm up. So I want to travel the world, I want to enjoy my family, and I just want to be true to myself. Yeah, and my final question, um, as an abstract concept, what does the world's greatest lawyer mean to you? What traits would that person possess? I think lawyers nowadays need to be more entrepreneurial. You need to see the world in a different way. It's not just about bringing in the client and doing the work. Who are they? What do they want? How can you really help them achieve what they want? Are you adaptable? Are you proactive? Are you reactive? I just think we've kind of now turned in such a direction I think a good lawyer can empathise, do the law well, but the entrepreneurial spirit, just, that's the key. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.